Good morning. I uh, get to extend my welcome to you at this point, and I'm thankful to do so. It is always a joy um, to be with you. Um, I have to say, though, it, it's um, I was even talking to Adam. I felt awkward coming here this morning. I didn't have two guitars, and I didn't stand up here, and um, I don't have my boots on. I don't know how to walk, and I don't know what to do with my hands. And so, um, but I am I'm thankful to be able to be here with you. Um, I, every week, I'm encouraged by our time together. Uh, if you have a copy of Scripture, go to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Hebrews chapter 13, we are going to continue our study um, as we have been studying through and looking through and and being encouraged through the words of the writer of Hebrews, um, laying a foundation in chapters 1 through 12, as Adam pointed out last week, having the theology laid for us of the goodness of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the work of Christ. he is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament um, rituals and sacrifices and priests and these things that they, are, they find their fulfillment in Christ. He is, in a sense, the end of those things. And in chapter 13, again, application not just added on, but flowing from the truth of the work of Christ. Um, so we continue that this week um, as we um, really look at two two things dealing with the relationship of the leaders, the pastors, to the church. Um, and as a pastor, um, sometimes these, these verses are awkward at times to speak through. I've, I've gone to other churches and taught of them. Um, sometimes awkward when it's the church you're pastoring and, um, or helping pastor and you're, you're dealing with these texts, dealing with leaders and the church, but... Um, in a sense, because it's convicting to me, um, and in a sense, because it's just dealing with the topic that it's dealing with, but um, as we seek to do every week, we're just going to let the text say what it says, and so the text says what it says, and we're going to let it say what it says, and so um, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 7, and reading through verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Would you pray with me this morning?
Father, we are thankful for your word. We acknowledge that it is you speaking to us through your word handed down, um, written by holy men, carried along by the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truthfulness of who you are, our triune God, to reveal to us who we are as those in need of saving in Christ Jesus and who we are as those who have been saved by Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that today um, you would convict us, you would strengthen us, you would encourage us. Through the words of your, your scriptures, as they proclaim to us yet again the truthfulness and the faithfulness and the goodness of your work for us in Christ Jesus. And it's in Christ we pray these things through the Spirit. Amen. So as we look at this text this morning, again, last week there was the practical application flowing out of the work of Christ and what we've learned about Christ in terms of how we are, are living and relating and loving one another and walking in, in purity and holiness and in this week, we're going to look at the section that flows from that. Again, not detached from that, not just added on to the end. This isn't the writer of Hebrews just, oh yeah, and by the way, here's how you should deal with your leaders and, and relate to them. This is flowing out of who Christ is and what Christ has done and how we're to walk in holiness. And now he is pointing them to their relationship with their, their leaders. As we're going to see here, it's their, their pastors, those who preach the word to them. And really, there's just two points with this. But point one, we're going to spend a lot more time on because it has um, the sub points flowing from it. But really just remember your leaders and obey and follow your leaders. Those are the two points. That's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing us to. So let's look at, at the first place he goes to here in verse 7. Remember your leaders. Think again about your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. And the writer of Hebrews here is pointing them to remember their, their leaders, their pastors, their preachers, as it goes on to say, those who spoke to you the word of God. And in that I was wrestling, is this the same leaders that we're going to see in verse 17? But it seems the language here is pointing to leaders of the past, those who are no longer leading you. It seems those who have completed their days and are no longer among them. Because they spoke the word to them in the past. They spoke to them the word of God. Remember them. Think about them. Think again about them as it's pointing us to. It's a command here to remember them. But not just remember them in a nostalgic, oh, it was nice to see him, or oh, it was nice to have him, or oh man, I really like the way he preached this or did that. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is pointing us to remember about the pastors of the past. But look at what he calls us to. In remembering them, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He's writing to the church here of these, in the early church, they would have now been at least on their, their second term of, of pastors and leadership. It seems, again, the first has either um, been the apost some of the apostles who would have moved from there, or leaders who have completed their days and are no longer with them. And he's calling them to remember back to them and remember two things about them. Well, really remember one thing about them and let that do something else to us. Remember the outcome of their lives. Remember considering the outcome of their way of life. Remembering and considering how their life ended 
and what awaited them. Considering and remembering their faithfulness to the end. Considering and remembering how flowing out of Hebrews 12, they had run with endurance the race that was set before them. He's calling these members of the church here to remember their pastors who are of the past and remember their faithfulness. Remember the outcome of their way of life, how they endured. Remember the outcome of their way of life in that at the end of their life they got the treasure and the fullness of what they were waiting for. And in so doing, the command to consider, in considering the outcome of their way of life, now imitate their faith. Just as they were faithful and they clung to Christ, you imitate them. You live as they lived. But again, this is not just some nice cliche thing of the goodness of the pastor or just do kind of what they did. Because we see in verse 8, look at where it goes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're going to expand on that again in a second. But, but that helps us understand what the writer of Hebrews is getting at when he's telling these people to imitate the faith of their leaders, to Im- imitate the faith of their teachers. But it's not live and, and model some outward expression. It's imitate their faith in that their faith was in the unchangeable Christ. And if Christ is unchangeable and Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever and Christ will be the same for all eternity, then the faith that is in Him and what is required to be joined to Him is not changing. So imitate the faith of these leaders because the Christ in whom they believed is not changing. I have to say in this, as I I look at this command to the church to remember their leaders to consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith as a pastor this is a this is a tough verse for me and is anyone who i think is is leading the church in that capacity and rightly looking at this text and what it's calling the church to do and therefore what it is requiring of the pastor it's challenging. I was even sharing that with the brothers on Monday night as we met for the pastors meeting of, of the, the call this has for us as pastors that to, to live lives that are worthy to be considered and to, to live a life of faith that is worthy to be imitated to where we could stand with Paul and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And it's convicting um, as I can look at my own life and see things in there that I would not want to be imitated and I would not want to be considered and I'm thankful for the grace of the Lord in that and I also want to press this and I want to be careful how I word it and I'm going to say it again whenever we get to verse 17 so you're going to hear it again and I want to be careful how I word it but I want to say it if ever you find yourself here at Oak Valley or you currently find yourself at a church And you say, I don't have leaders that I can look at their lives and imitate their faith. I don't have leaders that I can look at their lives and say, man, I want to I consider the outcome of their life. And I want to imitate their faith. If you do not have pastors who you can honestly look at and say, they are, they are examples of us of what it is to, fo- to follow Christ. 
then you need to go to them. And I say this, if you see this of us at Oak Valley, come to us and say, brothers, we're concerned about what we're seeing here. And if you find yourself at a church to where that is the case with the leadership and you've gone to them and there is no change and they do, you do not have pastors that you can follow and imitate and be led by, I say this cautiously, um, th- then you need to find a church where you have pastors so you can follow. You need to have pastors that you can imitate their faith. But again, the basis of this is not the pastor. The basis of this is the object of their faith. In verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, we were talking about this Monday night. Um, You can go from verse 7 to verse 9 and not have verse 8, and it makes complete and total sense. But the writer of Hebrews, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does put verse 8 in here. And if you're like me, you've heard verse 8. At some point, in some um, sermon on the immutability of God, or the unchangeableness of God, or the faithfulness of Christ in this, you've heard Hebrews 13, verse 8 quoted, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. But if you're like me, you have no recollection, not saying I never have, because there's been a lot of things I've been taught that I didn't hear. I can't bring to mind any time I've heard Hebrews verse, chapter 13, verse 8 taught in the context of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and verse 9. We often hear it as a standalone verse to, to show, and it, as it does, the immutability of Christ, that He will not change, He is the same, and He will always be the same. But the reason the writer of Hebrews puts that in where he puts it in is, again, it's flowing out of imitate their faith, consider the outcome of their life, because the Christ in whom their faith was put, the outcome of their life to the one to whom they have now been joined eternally, he is not changing. This Christ is the same When they were here, he's the same now, and he'll be the same forever. And so if that is the case... And this Christ in whom their faith was the same will not change. Then like them, we should follow him. We should be faithful to him. We should cling to him in faith. This is why their faith is to be imitated. Because the object of their faith never changes. Again, consider everything we've heard throughout this letter in Hebrews of all that Christ has done and accomplished and is doing for us. He is our sacrifice. He is our great high priest. He is the one who right now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He is the one who has promised to hold us and keep us and endure us to the end. He is the one who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He is the one who has promised that in Him... We have been reconciled to the Father and have life. The same faithfulness, same hope, same promises. For the Christ who made them and accomplished them does not change. So we don't have to wonder if Jesus will relate to us the same way he did to them. If Jesus will be faithful to us in the same way that he was to the leaders we have of the past, even as we read throughout the scriptures. We don't have to wonder whether or not he'll accept the repentant who believes or whether or not he'll keep us to the end because he is the same and he cannot, not just will not, he cannot change. For he is the eternal second person of the Godhead. 
So Christ, this object of their faith, this one in whom we believe, is unchanging. We have things around us that constantly are changing. Things around us and people around us and circumstances around us in which we put our hope and our trust and our confidence at times and they are constantly changing. Reminded of that even this week. But yet Christ, whom we are called to rest in and trust in and cling to, unlike absolutely everything else on this earth, will never change, will never die, will never forsake, and will never leave. So the same faith and the same call to believe that was from the early church in the first days of the church is the same faith and the same call to believe now. Our faith is not a new faith. What we believe is not a new belief. What we're going to stand up here and teach you should not be anything new. We are preaching the same Christ and called to believe the same thing as the first church did. So we're to be imitators of the faith of the faithful ones before us. Now again, at Oak Valley, um, don't really have a personal point to make here of, remember Pastor so-and-so from Oak Valley years ago, and Pastor so-and-so from Oak Valley years before that. We don't have past pastors here yet. But all of us, most of us at least, have been in churches that have had faithful pastors that we can look back on who have now completed their days, or at least right now, currently, are not our pastor. And we can look back on and be encouraged and be strengthened and be called to imitate their faithfulness to Christ and remember and consider the outcome of their lives and be strengthened and renewed by that for the same Christ that they believed in is the same Christ that is ours today. So in that, because we're called to, to imitate the faith of our, our teachers, our leaders, because the, the object of our faith, Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, leads the writer of Hebrews now to go into this warning not to be led away by strange and diverse teachings. Again, look at verse um, 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So he's warning them not to be led away by these strange teachings. And again, he's not ripping this out of the context of the rest of his letter. We can speculate as to what some of the strange teachings might would have been, but we know from the writing and the warnings of the rest of this letter and from what he's going to say after this, it's strongly tied back to those who were trying to get them to go back, somehow tying the work of Christ or divorcing the work of Christ from the old sacrificial system, from the altars, from the feast, from all of these things that would then give them access to God that they had to do to be made right with God. And he's warning them against these strange and diverse teachings not to go back to them because there is no teaching except that which has been handed down. 
So he's warning them, don't, don't be led away by something strange, something foreign. Don't be led away by some diverse teaching that, that varies from the teaching that has been handed down to us of the work of Christ. But rather, stay true to the teaching of Christ because Christ doesn't change. Today, I doubt many of us have a lot of people that are trying to um, draw us back into the Levitical law for our salvation. I doubt many of us encounter that. I can think of a, a friend I had some years ago who um, we would have those conversations and he tended to toe that line of, of keeping the, the law and why we should do the feast and, and all of these things and not eat certain foods and we would go back and forth. But I doubt most of us struggle into having a lot of encounters with people who are trying to get us to go back to the Levitical law and sacrifices and feast in order to be made right with God. but we are constantly inundated with quote-unquote new teachings about Jesus and new teachings of how we can be right with him and new teachings of how we can experience him and all of these things. If someone comes up with, something new, with some new concept of Jesus or of God or of worship or how to know him or be right with him or have peace with him, here's my encouragement to you. Run from them. Because there's nothing new we can teach. There's no new teaching we can have about Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is warning us not to be led away by diverse and strange teachings. But again, here it's pointing primarily back to these teachings of the temple and the law and the sacrifices. And you can see that by not only the, the previous parts of the letter, but where he goes next. But look where he goes at the end of verse 9. For it is good... For the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. This strengthening of the heart, not the physical heart. Not that our, we can run so that we can have a better heart endurance and our heart can be healthier. It's speaking of the inner, the inner self, our faith, that it would be strengthened and it's good for our heart, our faith, our or our self to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those who were devoted to them. Again, pointing back to this sacrificial system. In Leviticus chapter 6, verse 26, it says, The priest who offers it for sin, the sacrifice, shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meeting. Or 1 Corinthians 9, verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. This idea of the heart being strengthened by food but that wasn't benefited those who were devoted to them is pointing back to this system of eating of the, 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 the priest, eating of the sacrificial foods when they were allowed to and commanded to. Because again, going into verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So he's pointing back to, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by this hope and this sacrificial system. Not by this ritualistic routine that we're going to go through and think that earns us, we're going to add to Christ. It's, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. 
By remembering and dwelling upon who Christ is and what He has done for us and by the work of God in us through Him. And again, he goes on, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat because it's not their sacrifice. Nor is this the sacrificial system the means to obtain it. They are not joined to Christ and therefore they have no means to partake of this sacrifice. Nor is the sacrifice like the one they did before. And then he goes on in verse 11, building again upon this. So we're strengthened, again, flowing out of this, we're strengthened by grace and not by foods. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Again, pointing to certain sin offerings and particularly to the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 4, verse 12. All the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it on the fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. Or Leviticus 16 when it speaks of, of Yom Kippur, um, the, of the sacrificial bull that made atonement for the holy of holy and the, the furniture inside of it. And it said, The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And it's not just that the writer of Hebrews is noting that they're carried outside the camp, and it's not just that God wanted to make this stipulation because he just thought it would be a good idea to take it outside the camp. There was a reason that these sacrifices were carried outside the camp to be burned. Because these particular sacrifices were the sin offerings of the Day of Atonement and the sin offerings of other aspects of the, the sacrificial system that would take place, and they had had the sins of the people, so to speak, laid upon them. And in that, they were then, God was showing to the people that their sin placed upon this sacrifice was now carried outside the camp because the sin would not be among them. In the same way, it was separating them from the people. But we also see others that were outside of the camp and it helps us understand that a little better. If you go to Numbers chapter 5, it said, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out the camp everyone who is leprous, who has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put them both out, male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. So we see a, a sense in which the separation from the, from the camp, being put outside the camp, was because of an uncleanness. Because of here, ceremonial uncleanness, or in the case of the sacrifice, because of the sin that it represented being cast outside of the camp being separated from where God was among them and so the writer of Hebrews is pointing to this sacrifice and then goes from that into Christ who is again we've already seen throughout Hebrews the, the fulfillment of these things the better sacrifice so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood Christ suffered outside the gate the writer of hebrews tying that back to the sacrifices who were taken outside of the gate showing that christ is the sacrifice that bore sin just as the sin offering was carried outside of the camp christ likewise suffered not within the city but outside of the city 
Showing indeed he is our sin sacrifice. He is the, the fulfillment of those things. The one who's through his blood he has sanctified us. Christ bore our uncleanness. He is our sin offering. And even beyond that, because again, verse 11 um, shows that it's the, the ones who were taken inside the holy places. Christ is the lamb that was slain to make atonement for his people. And the writer of Hebrews is pointing us to that and showing that he suffered outside the camp. And then he calls us in verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. And bear the reproach he endured. Let us go to Christ. The one who has bore our sin. The one who has borne our shame. The one who has borne our uncleanness. The sacrifice through whom we have atonement. The one that is unchanging. Let us go to him and bear the reproach that he endured. Again, pointing us back to even Hebrews chapter 11 when it speaks of Moses. said that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the feeding pleasures of sin. For he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So he calls us to go to Christ, to look to Christ who has borne our, our, our sin and go to him and bear the reproach that he endured. And then in verse 14, For we have no lasting city here, but we seek a city that is to come. Again, Hebrews 11 speaks of, of that same thing. Or even two weeks ago when Pastor Jimmy pointed us in chapter 12 where it speaks of at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The phrase once more indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. The writer of Hebrews is calling us to go to Christ, to bear the reproach of Christ, to bear to put our hope and trust in Christ, to seek Him to strengthen our hearts because we we don't have a lasting city here. We've been reminded at least twice in the book of Hebrews of that reality. That this world is not our home. That we are longing and enduring and striving for a city. So the writer of Hebrews has said it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, and then goes to show on the reason for that because Christ is the better sacrifice who is suffered outside the camp for us. Now let us go to Christ. And here's, this, here's how all that's tying together. The way our heart are strengthened through grace is by that very thing. We go to Christ who suffered outside the city. We don't go to rituals. We don't go to routines. We don't go to new dietary laws. We don't go to the newest, trendiest fad of what it is to know God and to experience Him more fully and to do any of these things, we go to Christ. We go to the Christ who was sacrificed. We go to the Christ who is atoned. We go to the Christ who sits at the right hand of God and who intercedes for us. We go to Him and in Him we are strengthened. We go to Him and we are strengthened to endure to the end. Again, there's all kinds of trends and fads and new books and ways that we can 
know God and experience God and know the joy of God and the fullness of God and all of these other things that are out there. If you want to be strengthened in grace, if you want to be strengthened in grace to endure to the end, to know God and to, 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 to cling to Him, then don't go to rituals and foods and diets and these things. Go to Christ. Go to the Christ who bore our sin and our shame. Now, to be sure and to be clear, how do we go to Christ? Through His Word. I'm not saying there's not a discipline there. But I'm saying the way we are strengthened, the way that the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying that we are strengthened in our heart by grace is by going to the Christ who suffered outside the gate for us. And in him we are strengthened. Not by ritual or law. In thinking through this, I was reminded of the old hymn. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's grace for a look at the Savior and there's life more abundant and free. And then what does the Chorus command us to do there? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's our strength. Dear weary saint, burdened by the guilt of sin, by the sufferings of this world, by the uncertainties of life, longing for the, to be strengthened, longing for the grace to endure. Don't go to the law. Don't go to foods. Don't go to rituals. Don't go to the newest, latest trend that promises this great experience. Go to Christ. Go to the Christ who suffered. Go to the Christ who was raised. Go to the Christ who intercedes. And in Him be strengthened. And to the burden sinner um, who wonders... Will Christ accept the repentant? He suffered outside the gate for the sinner. And he has called and promised to accept all those who would come to him in faith and repentance and he will not change. Go to Christ. And in this, the writer of Hebrews then says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledges his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So he's, he's reminded us of Christ. He's reminded us of these things. He's called us to remember our leaders. And flowing out of who Christ is and what Christ has done, he says, now through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Again, Look at how he works through that. It is through him that we do these things. 
Our praise, our sacrifice, our obedience is through Christ and his sacrifice for us and through no other means. Therefore, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. And in case we wonder what that is, he tells us. It's the fruit of the lips that acknowledges his name. This sacrifice of praise is a life that was lived through Christ. That's the fruit that's what bears out and grows in us out of the lips of those who acknowledge his name. And again, this isn't some void profession of those who with their lips do so. But to those who are clinging to him, who are trusting in him, who are believing upon him, who have been joined to him, that through Christ then we offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And in verse 16, he expands on that even more to show us what that is. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Through Christ then, let us offer this sacrifice of praise. And what is this sacrifice of praise? That we would not neglect to do good to one another and to share what we have. That what bears out in us, this fruit that is produced by lips that truly acknowledge his name, that through Christ we live lives of, of a sacrifice of praise that results in doing good to one another and sharing what we have. That for those who have been strengthened in grace would live this out. So the writer of Hebrews calls us to remember our leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life, to imitate their faith, because this same Christ in whom they believed who suffered outside the city is the same Christ to which we have been joined. So he calls us to remember our past leaders. And then in verse 17, he now calls us to obey our current leaders and submit to them. There's a lot of touchy words in our culture today, most of which I ignore. I'm not going to say the most explosive words you can put out there on somebody. It's in the top ten. It's talk about submission of anything to anyone. Because we don't like that. We have all kinds of things in our culture. Trying to throw off submission and authority. Whether it be to, to whatever system and whatever person in any of this. But the writer of Hebrews has called us to obey our leaders and to submit to them. And I want to look at what, that, what that's meaning and what it's not meaning. And then I want to look at the reasoning why the writer of Hebrews commands us to do so. So it's to obey your leaders and submit to them. I want to look at what that, that's not saying first. What it's not saying is, um, obey your leaders and submit to them as if somehow we want or have Authority over absolutely every decision you make in life. Do not call us and ask us if it's okay and you have permission to go out to eat at a certain restaurant. Don't care. You can go, depending on the restaurant. <laughs> Disclaimer, right? But I have seen that. I, 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 I've seen it on Twitter from leaders out of certain denominational groups and the guy... I don't know if this is verbatim how he worded it, but the gist of his argument was you should never make a decision in life without the, without the counsel of your pastor. Okay. 
That, that's not what this is saying. Right? Now, do I think that God has placed shepherds over us? And I say us because I have two pastors to whom I have to do this with. God has placed shepherds over us to, to, to um, keep watch over us, as we're going to see in a second, and to give us counsel and to give us wisdom and to lead us. So we're not unwise to do that, but I, I want to be careful to, to what this is not saying, and then I want to look at what it is saying. So it's not saying absolutely every minuscule decision in life, you have to get the approval and the, the, guide and the, the authority of your pastors to make those decisions. What it is saying at the bare minimum, is obey your leaders and submit to them in their teaching and their leadership within the church. They were to obey, were to obey and submit to the teaching of our pastors. For they should be being faithful to the scriptures. What they are teaching should simply be the teachings of scripture. We're to obey to them and we're to submit to them. We're also to obey and submit to them in their leadership of the church. And again, this is awkward to do um, as the pastor of, one of the pastors of the church, but I'm just saying what it says. We're to obey and submit to their leadership in the church. And the reasoning for this is look at verse 17. For they're keeping watch over your souls. Again, that shepherding language is those who will have to give an account. He's saying submit and obey to your pastors because they're shepherds over you and they're going to give an account for you on that day. If verse 7 was hard for me as a pastor, verse 17 is really hard for me as a pastor. Not because I don't like it, not because I don't agree with it, not because I don't think it's true. The, the weight of that, if we understand it rightly, that we as the pastors and, and the shepherds here at Oak Valley will we'll one day give an account for how we have shepherded you. What we have led you in that you're called to submit to and obey. That we will give an account before the Lord for you. And we don't take that responsibility lightly. Um, but he is calling them, calling us. Um, and again, I say us because... Um, we have three pastors. It means I have two others to which I have to obey this command with. And there have been times that I've had to do that. Submit to them and obey them in that we would come together on things and it was, this is where we're, this is not that it was major things, but it was, okay, that's where we're going. We're called to do that because we have to, we, God's been gracious to give us shepherds and gifted those who to do so. And they will give an account for these things. And then let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. He's writing to the congregation here, but this is more of a, con, uh, a command to the pastors. As those who are leading... A pastor's work, while tiring, while weighty at times, should always be joyful. The pastor shouldn't be one who begrudgingly does what he has to do and does so with groaning and with complaining, but does it with joy. 
Because to not do so is of no advantage to the people. So we are called to remember our leaders and we're called to obey them. And again, I said it in point one and I'll say it here again. I told you I would. I was um, listening to a podcast and it was a Q&A with a certain pastor and a guy messaged in and he asked a question and it was dealing with tithing. But in his, in his response, he made the, or in his question, he made the statement of his struggling to give because he didn't trust how the, the pastors were spending the money, right? So he, he can't submit to their leadership in that because he's struggling with how they're, he doesn't trust them in that regard. And John MacArthur pressed him on that. He didn't really answer the first question. He kind of pressed him into that regard. And I bring that up because of this. In the same way that I, I spoke earlier that with pastors whose lives can't be imitated and whose faith can't be imitated. If, and again, I say this here. If you find it's true Oak Valley, come to us. Or if you find it at the church you're in, go to your pastors. If you have pastors who you don't trust and can't obey and submit to because they're not leading you biblically, Go to them. Let them know your concerns. And if that continues to be a thing and you can't, you don't have leaders, not, not, let, me, let me be clear, not you can't obey them and submit to them because you don't like it, but you can't obey and submit to them because it's not according with Scripture. Then you, then you need to, to find leadership that you can. Because we should be able to follow and lead our pastors because we trust them to teach us according to Christ. Because what we should be calling you to obey and submit to is the very things that we've heard this morning. We should be pointing you to be strengthened in Christ. We should be pointing you to walk in holiness and obedience to Him. We should be pointing you to walk in accord with His Word. What we should be calling you to do should simply be the words of Scripture. So today, I hope you have been encouraged and strengthened in remembering Christ. Because in the midst of this call to remember our leaders, and in the midst of this call to obey and submit to them, that is the central theme that, that wraps all of them together. Be strengthened by the Christ who suffered. And remember your leaders whose faith was tied to him. And obey and submit to your leaders now who are currently proclaiming him. But it all goes back to the Christ who suffered outside the city for his people to make atonement. In him, be strengthened. In him, walk in obedience. And in him, lift our eyes that we would run with endurance the race that is set before us. Would you pray with me? Father, you are gracious and good in Christ to atone for us, to redeem us, to send Christ to be the sacrifice who suffered outside of the city bearing our uncleanness, bearing our sin, making atonement for us. And in so doing, you've joined us to the church. 
And Father, in that and in your church and in your goodness, you've given us pastors and leaders. Father, for many of us, we can look back the pastors we've had, the faithfulness that they've had, and we can be encouraged to imitate them in that way because their faith was tied to, to Christ who does not change. And Father, you've been gracious and good to give the church pastors and leaders today. Father, I pray that you would give us a humility as, as pastors to lead gently and faithfully. And you would give us humility as members to um, obey and follow um, as much as we lead in Christ. Father, we're thankful for Christ who is the perfect shepherd of his people. And it's through his blood and by the power of the Spirit that we pray these things. Amen.